The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan, and along with me today, but not as always, is Joe Marino from the Draft Network and Locked On Bills. Joe, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Bruce, but I figured something out. Um, You wanted to do the pass rush side of this conversation first so you can hear all the great talking points and then manipulate your argument to make it like coverage is better. I mean, my wife always tells me I have to have the last word. So maybe that was it. Maybe that was really what this was, is that deep down, I just had to have the last word. And you know what? If that happens to tip the scales in my favor, I think that's fair. I think I think I deserve that at this point because, you know, I'm not used to sitting in this chair. And so I should get an unfair advantage, I think, from sitting in this chair. And that's essentially what I have today. But today, we are going to have the second part of our discussion that we had yesterday on Locked On Bills. If you have not gone back and watched that, you need to go back and listen to that pod from yesterday. It is the first half of our pass rush v coverage debate. Which one of these two items is more important to the success of a pass defense and a defense at large? So if I were to isolate pass rush and I was isolate coverage, which one of those two things would have a bigger impact on what it is that the team is trying to get done on that side of the ball. Joe outlined nine points yesterday on the Locked On Bills podcast, specifically saying these are all the reasons why pass rush is more important than coverage. Today, we're going to flip the script. I am going to outline the reasons why I believe that coverage 
is more important than pass rush. And then we'll just open it up to the Bills Mafia at large and the community at large and the football fans at large and say, listen, which one of these people did a better job, Bruce or Joe? Which one of these people did a better job of outlining for the football community which one is more important? Before I get started, Joe, do you have anything you want to say to the crowd? Um, tongue in cheek today, folks, because I think... <laughs> I think fast rush is more important, but I will do the same thing you did in our discussion yesterday. I will accentuate your arguments the very best I can and convince myself I have the hat on that coverage is more important and I'm ready uh, for your argument and I'm ready to help strengthen it the best I can. So my argument today will consist of three main prongs. The first is conceptually coverage is more important. The second is in practice statistically coverage is more important. And the third part is anecdotally coverage is more important because I think it's important to be able to have this discussion from multiple different angles. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start with anecdotally. We're going to start at the end. We're going to Tarantino it. We're going to start at the end and then loop around back to the beginning. Just anecdotally, when you look at the trends that are happening in the National Football League as it regards to coverage versus pass rush, what you're going to notice is a couple things. The first one is that Bill Belichick is well known as being one of the greatest defensive game planners of all time. And Bill Belichick clearly thinks coverage is more important. So we should listen. Because if you look at the players that Bill Belichick has paid, specifically Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, their defensive backfield players. If you look at the players he's gotten rid of, Chandler Jones, if you look at the players he's let walk, Flowers, their defensive line, he believes that you can manufacture pressure, but you can't manufacture the same level of coverage. So that's anecdotally one of the first points, is that the idea that you can manufacture pressure through blitzes, through stunts, through games up front, you can deal with a talent deficiency on the line but that same level of talent deficiency on the back end would cause you to have to make adjustments that you cannot deal with. You mentioned yesterday that there are always holes in coverage. There's always something that the coverage is being conceding. Well, if you have a good enough talent, you can close a lot of that hole. But if that same talent gap were to appear on the front side of your defense with your defensive line, you may not you may not necessarily have to worry about it because you can manufacture that. Bill Belichick has not had a sack artist since Chandler Jones left, but they're still a really good defense because they believe in the important thing, which is coverage. Well, I think you you've started off really strong here, Bruce, and I think the Patriots are a wonderful example of why coverage is more important, especially when you think about the players, like you mentioned, that they've that they've decided to let walk. I mean, even Kyle Van Oy, Jamie Collins, in addition to Trey Flowers and trading away Chandler Jones, but they invested in the McCourty brothers. They invested in keeping around Patrick Chung. They've developed JC Jackson and of course Stefan Gilmore, arguably the best cornerback in football. And you you think about this Patriots defense without Chandler Jones, who's on a historic pace. He's on a a, a more uh, 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 he's on a pace that was that sets him higher than Bruce Smith through eight seasons. Chandler Jones has more sacks than Bruce Smith had, and they let that guy go for a second round pick. And the reality is, Chandler Jones has been a great player in the NFL, but the Patriots have been just fine with them, especially defensively. I know team success that goes back to Tom Brady and and all the great uh, attributes of the of the New England Patriots, but on, specifically on defense. 
they have never had a guy log more than seven and a half sacks over the last four years since Chandler Jones has been gone and they finished number one in scoring defense twice and in the top seven the other two seasons. And so they haven't missed those marquee pass rushers, but they're investing in coverage men and their defense and the way they win football games speaks for itself. Quick side note, if any of you listening have not read Joe's piece on Chandler Jones of the Arizona Cardinals for the Draft Network, please go to thedraftnetwork.com and read that piece. It is an excellent piece, Joe. You did a great job. And I think that because Arizona plays on the West Coast, because they have the four o'clock games, I think a lot of people have a tendency to kind of forget about Chandler Jones. And this is a good way from reading the article to make sure that we bring him the credit that he really deserves because he really is an elite pass rusher. And that doubles back to this, that the Patriots have been just fine without a pass rusher as elite as he is. So moving on to the next one, we mentioned anecdotally the present, which is Bill Belichick. But let's talk about anecdotally in the past. I think Bill Walsh already solved this issue for us, Joe. I really do. I think Bill Walsh already solved the issue as to whether or not coverage or pass rush was more important. And he solved it 30 years ago with the West Coast offense. One of the things that made the West Coast offense such an incredibly divergent offensive strategy is that because it relied on quick passes and the ability to get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback quickly, it neutralized an entire concept, not just a player. We talked yesterday that's much more difficult to neutralize a pass rusher, but it is not necessarily difficult to neutralize a pass rush. We can do that with offensive schemes. You can have a scenario where you put the onus on the ability to cover it in the short area with the West Coast offense and teams at that point were used to dealing with Eric Coriel, you know, the Mike Martz tree, right? They were used to dealing with seven step drops and vertical passing. And that was a huge and monumental shift in the way that NFL defenses looked at attacking offenses because they just couldn't get there. They couldn't get home. And so when you had these scenarios where you get pass rushers who constantly get frustrated, I'll never forget the first game that Mario Williams played for the Bills. He was running up against a right tackle for the Jets that he accused of holding, but he just, the ball just kept getting out. It just kept getting out. There is a time element to pass rush that if you can get the ball out fast enough, it does not matter. This is the inverse of your point yesterday, which was the, hey, you can't cover forever. That's the inverse of this. And that is, if you can get the ball out in two and a half seconds, it doesn't matter how good your pass rush. You could have four all pros up front and the pressure is going to be limited to, can I bat the ball? That's going to be the extent of your defensive line's involvement in that game. Sorry about that. No pass rush, no pressure, nothing. You got to hope you can bat the ball because Bill Walsh already solved this for us 30 years ago when he said, I can effectively neuter an entire section of pass defense by going to a West Coast offense. And you know, the West Coast offense has made some careers for people. Think about Joe Montana. Joe Montana wasn't great because he had this big a rocket arm or this amazing mobility. It was because he was smart and had that quick trigger, got the ball out of his hands, got the ball in the hands of his receivers, neutralized pass rush. And really, it's so frustrating as a pass rusher knowing that you have an opportunity to go get that quarterback. You're a dog. You want to get that guy. But there's just a, a time discrepancy that makes that not possible. If we were to bring this back to the Buffalo Bills, let's talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick in, in, in the great seasons that he did have for the Bills, 
he didn't have success because that offensive line was good. That offensive line was just get by, get by with these guys. Uh, there was no talent there. I mean, even there was minimal talent at wide receiver, but because Fitzpatrick got the ball out of his hands so quickly, he was able to be very productive and, and really led this offense that overcame a lot of talent. I mean, if you look at his, his tenure in Buffalo, he was sacked 21, 24 and 22 times before 30 in 2012. I mean, he just didn't get sacked very often. You can neutralize pass rush by getting the ball out of your hands. And in fact, you know, there's been a lot of quarterbacks that have elongated their careers by doing that. And uh, you just can't get to these guys. And that certainly is something that where if you can legitimately neutralize pass rush, well, that kind of makes it less important. Chan Gailey being able to neutralize a pass rush with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the offensive line that we had, David Nelson, Donald Jones, Stevie Johnson as your offensive passing weapons, aside from your running backs, which Chan Gailey was awesome at being able to get the running backs involved in the screen game, your ability to neutralize an entire area of the defense using that personnel, I think is a strike in the favor of coverage when it comes to that. I think anecdotally, while we're on the anecdotals, I think that we should turn our attention to the NFL draft and whether or not the NFL thinks coverage is important. And the last 10 years of drafting history is interesting because I think that the NFL is starting to turn in my direction. And I'll use some examples of this. When you go to the first round picks for the defensive backfield, corners and safeties, versus the defensive line, ends and tackles. 10 years ago, that number looks a lot different than five years ago. So for the last five years versus the five years prior to that, those numbers look different as far as players that are drafted in the first round. In the first round, five to 10 years ago, there were 29 defensive backs taken and 40 defensive linemen taken. In the last five years, there have been 30 defensive backs taken and 33 defensive linemen taken. People are deciding to trend in that direction. One of those arrows is pointing up ever so slightly, and one of those arrows is pointing very precipitously down as far as the value of the position. And we know the positional value has an effect on drafting. We know this because of running backs. We can look at the running backs that were drafted, and we know for a fact, in case you're wondering whether or not there's a correlation between people drafted in the first round and perceived positional value, there absolutely is because we see it with running back. You and I have talked about this running back class that just came up and how many of these players would have been first round picks 10 to 15 to 20 years ago. And we know full well that the ability of a team to take a player in the first round is based on their perception of that positional value. One of these positions and the position being defensive backfield is trending up. One of those positions is trending significantly down. You know, it's interesting. You talk about how the, um, the draft has definitely swayed in favor of investing early selections in, uh, in, in secondary players, but you know what's uh, what's interesting is how the the salary cap um, has has uh, in the, still paying those defensive ends, those pass rushers, more money. The, the market value for top defensive linemen is higher than it is with top cornerbacks. And you know, I think what that does in terms of the landscape of this argument is it puts this value proposition on having the the cornerbacks, which 
are becoming more in demand, but you're paying them less money. So while there are wonderful answers in terms of scheme, but you talk about the overall ability to build a football team, the amount of cap space that you have to allocate towards these top pass rushers, because as much as trends are indicating that coverage becomes more important, the way teams are still spending money indicates that they want to invest that in the pass rush, but you you get more of a value proposition when it comes to paying players in the secondary because the contract uh, piece of that has not quite caught up to the rate in which teams are investing premium draft talent, draft capital in that type of talent. That was one of the things I actually considered about adding to this argument is that the market for corners is going up at a faster rate than Mm -hmm. the market for pass rushers. Very quickly, we're going to have our first $20 million a year corner. And that has gone up precipitously. I remember when Darrell Revis signed his $16 million a year contract and everyone was like, oh my gosh, that is so far (laughs) above what people have. And now really quickly, now we're at 20 mil. And so the pass rusher market, while going up, is not going up at the same rate that the cornerback is going up because, again, NFL teams are starting to figure it out. We, You can look at that where the money is. You can look at that where the draft capital is. People are starting to figure this out. The trend is, I think if we have this argument in 10 years, everyone will think we're nuts for considering the fact that pass rush might be more important than coverage because that's the direction it happens to be trending. So that was the anecdotal prong of my argument. We are going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back. We're going to get to the second two prongs of the argument. And we're going to leave it to you all listening to decide what it is that's more important. Coverage versus pass rush. Stick around. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And along with me is Mr. Joe Marino from the Draft Network. You can find him on Twitter at the Joe Marino, also the host of Locked on Bills. And we are back to our discussion about coverage versus pass rush. Yesterday on the Locked on Bills podcast, you can subscribe to that podcast wherever you are subscribed to this one. He made the argument, Joe, that... Pass rush is more important than coverage. And today we are having the opposite argument. We are discussing whether or not coverage is more important than pass rush. I previously made an anecdotal argument. It was part of my three prongs, anecdotal, conceptual, and statistical. And so now we're going to move on to the statistical part of my argument. And that is the correlation between the, the metrics that outline defensive coverage play 
and defensive success. I was expecting there to be an argument on the pass rush side that says, look at the correlation between pressures and defensive success. One of the things that that doesn't tell you is when into the snap, the pressure occurred. It doesn't tell you if the pressure was as a result of really good pass rush or whether the pressure was a result of really good coverage causing the quarterback to hold the ball. And that is a significant chink in the armor of that argument is we don't know why that pressure happened. But if we follow a specific set of statistical rules, we can attempt to separate out defensive success due to pass rush versus defensive success due to coverage. And here's what I'm going to do. We're going to start by defining success because that's important. And the way I'm going to define this as far as pass defense is I'm not going to use yards. I'm not going to use raw yards or scoring. I'm going to use the top half of the league in terms of net yards per attempt. Mind you, net yards per attempt includes sacks. So all sacks are in there. Sacks due to pressure, sacks due to coverage, what we call coverage sacks. Those are all involved. So we're going to go through the top 16, San Francisco, New England, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Baltimore, Minnesota, Carolina, New Orleans, Dallas, Chicago, Tampa Bay, the Jets, Carolina, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. Those were the top half of the league when it comes to pass defense by net yards per attempt. But how can we find a correlation? That's the next step. How can we find a correlation? And to do that, you have to be able to isolate a metric that is specifically about pass rush versus isolating a metric that's specifically about coverage. And so because of it, we cannot use pressure rate because we don't know whether or not those pressures occurred two and a half seconds into the snap, which you can make an argument would have been a result of a good pass rush or whether they occurred five and a half seconds into the snap, which you would make the argument is a result of good coverage. So here's what we did. I broke down the top half of the league in regards to ESPN's pass rush win rate. For those of you listening, a pass rush win rate is a defensive player beating their block in two and a half seconds or less. This is a good metric, even though there's an added piece of subjectivity to it, when it comes to understanding how well the pass rush did their job. Now, I'm not going to read you all 16, but of those 16, the top half of the league in pass rush win rate, eight of them were not on the list for the top 16 in net yards per attempt. Half of the teams in the top half of the league in terms of pass rush win rate did not see themselves in the top half of the league in regards to result. So they got the process in this case, which was getting a positive pass rush. They got the process, but the process did not lead to the result. So there's a moderate correlation there because half of those people didn't show up on the list when it comes to the resulting statistic. However, if I were to rank the top half of the league in regards to passer rating against, which passer rating is only a pass coverage metric because sacks are not there, time is not there, it is just yards per attempt, completion percentage, touchdown interception ratio, which I think is a very, very good metric of how good your defense played, passer rating against. The top 16 teams for passer rating against, three of them did not find themselves in the top half in regards to the results metric, which was the net yards per attempt. So if I rank the people by pass rush, I see less of a correlation 
then if I rank them by passer rating against, which we may already made the argument, is a metric to use in order to describe how well your defensive backfield is playing. So there's a marked difference between the correlation between pass rush success and defensive pass success versus defensive backfield success. And defensive backfield success correlates stronger with total success than pass rush does. Well, yeah, I think you watch a lot of football, and, and as much as we love to see Von Miller run a circle, or Jerry Hughes, in the Bills case, run a circle around an offensive tackle and knock out the quarterback, the reality is that's not how most sacks happen. A lot of them come as a result of very strong coverage and and, and that extra time allowing you to beat your blocker, create pressure, and, and hopefully a sack if you're the pass rusher. So there is definitely a big proponent, a big reason why guys are able to get pressure, guys are able to get sacks, simply because coverage does its job and it allows that to happen. And I think you've given some strong statistical data here that indicates that most of those pressures come as a result of more time being afforded to that pass rusher to work and get home. One of the things that I thought was really shocking when I did this is Atlanta. Atlanta was second in the league, Joe, in pass rush win rate as a team. And yet they absolutely felt like that was a disappointment for them. I mean, Vic Beasley has been a disappointment for them. Their first round pick from a couple of years ago, you know, Takaris McKinley, they did not pick up the fifth year option for Takaris McKinley because they were disappointed in his production and they knew that they needed to double down, triple down to try to help out. So that pass rush win rate was not sufficient to give them the pass defense that they wanted even though they were one of the best teams in the league in that statistic, it still didn't correlate with what the end result was intended to be, which was let's stop them from gaining yards when they want to throw the ball. Let's make sure that it's a net negative more so than a net positive to them when they drop back to pass. And so that was the really crazy one with me. The other one that was really crazy for me was Green Bay. Green Bay was really, really high on the passer rating against really high on the passer rating against fifth in the league. And you know that the type of people that they invested their money in last off season to be able to work in Mike Pettin's defense and be able to have the things that they wanted to have happen. They were the exception on the other side. They were fifth in the league in passer rating against, but didn't show up at all in the top half of the net yards per attempt. So that was the strange thing for me. I think there was a, an outlier on both sides, but the correlation was more significant, much more significant for passer rating against as far as drawing a correlation between that and the success. Now, the last thing we're going to talk about is the coup de grace of the coverage discussion. And it is conceptually this. I, I could have made the entire argument with just this one point. And I could have just said, okay, there's three minutes. We're going to drop the mic, but it wouldn't have been great content, Joe. I need the great content. So conceptually is the third prong of this argument. And it's very simply this. The average time to throw in the NFL last year was 2.78 seconds per NFL next gen stats. The average amount of time before a sack was initiated was 4.3. Therefore, Sacks were initiated when a quarterback held the ball longer than average. What is it that causes a quarterback to hold the ball longer time than average? Coverage. It is That is a very, very significant statistic in the favor 
of coverage. It's that we mentioned that 2.5 seconds is the definition of a pass rush win. Why? Why did they pick 2.5 seconds? Because the average time the ball comes out is 2.7. And so if you win at your pass rush at three seconds, it's not a win. If you get a sack after beating your man after three or three and a half seconds, it wasn't a win for you. It was a win for the defensive backfield because they caused the quarterback to hold the ball longer than average time, which allowed you to get there. There is a correlation between Josh Allen's time to throw and his success. And part of that comes from processing. How can you make the quarterback panic in the pocket? We mentioned yesterday you could hit him. The other thing is you can make him get off his first read and go, I don't know what coverage this is yet. One of the things that Nick and I have talked about that makes the Bills defense special is the ability for Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer to hold their disguises further into the snap than you would otherwise be able to do so because they have such good communication. They understand the scheme so well that the quarterback can be at the top of his drop and still not know whether it's one high or two high because of the way that they rotated and hid themselves pre-snap to be able to do the things that are necessary. That type of thing lets the pass rush get there regardless of how good your pass rushes are. Because although you said, hey, you know, you can't cover forever, I would make an argument you can't block forever either. And these statistics back that up. I Instead of offering more analysis here to strengthen your argument, I want to give you a chance to answer a question that came to my mind. You said those numbers, and, and I think I initially let out a moan. And I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty pretty substantial. So I, w- I want to give you the opportunity to address this. If the average time to throw in the NFL last season was 2.78, the average sack was 4.3 seconds, how do you factor in the the times where pass rush is not impacted at all because it's a quick pass? And we know that pace and space has become such a big part of the NFL game. These quarterbacks are getting the ball out so quick by design. How do you think that factors those numbers? It absolutely factors those numbers because it draws down the average time to throw. But if it does do that, then that's another point in the favor of coverage because that's another point in the favor that Bill Walsh figured out 30 years ago. So absolutely, it has an effect on that. I mean, think about all the bubble screens in the world. What is the average time to throw on a bubble screen? What, 0.7 seconds, 0.9 seconds? It's not high. And so that drags the number down. And so recognizing that that does drag the number down, it also, if it does drag the number down, it also drags it down in favor of coverage. And that is because that's a snap where the quarterback holds the ball for 0.9 seconds. The defensive pass rush basically had no effect and they had no opportunity to affect. So the amount of snaps where the defensive line even has an opportunity to affect the pass game has been lessened by this pace and space offensive systems that we've seen specifically with people like the Chiefs, where you, gosh, goodness gracious, the pass rushers just like, just give me a seven-step drop for the love of all that is holy and sacred. Give me some opportunity to get this guy. And if that's the possibility, if there's a possibility out there that you can have a significant chunk of your pass plays where the pass rush has no opportunity to have an effect, they have to be dinged for that, and you have to give the favor to coverage. Well, see, that, and that did, that did its job. The question did its job to give you the chance to further your stake there. So well done, sir. So, Joe, 
I appreciate you coming on with me. I appreciate you having this discussion with me. I hope that the listeners found this to be important. And I think that it's a good time to have this discussion because I don't think we'd have the the breathing room to have this type of discussion during the year. Maybe on a bye week you could if there wasn't a lot of news going on with your team. But this is the type of off-season content that I really like to dig my dig my teeth into. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to be able to outline your nine points yesterday, be able to come on with me today, have this discussion. I hope that you, the listener, found this valuable. And Joe, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on. Yeah, I appreciate it, Bruce. There's one, there's, I gotta, there's one thing that I'm surprised you left off here. So if I can, if I could bring this up, sure. It, it's really interesting. I think we all know the NFL has become a passing league and the amount of passing attempts are extremely high, especially over the last five years. There hasn't been an uptick in sacks to go along with that. There has been, you know, you look at the greatest sack seasons of all time, the most prolific sack seasons ever. Michael Strahan in 2001, Mark Gastonow in 1984, Chris Dolman in 1989, Reggie White in 1987. Yeah, you've got Justin Houston in 2014 and Jared Allen in 2011. Lawrence Taylor, 1986. You know, there, there has been there has been an inverse relationship between <laughs> sacks and the amount of passing attempts, which I find extremely fascinating as part of this discussion. I thought about doing it. I didn't for two reasons. The first one is I already made the argument that sacks wasn't a good me- measure of, of pass rush. So then if I come back and use that as part of my argument, I sound like a hypocrite. So I didn't want to do that. The second thing was I thought it doubled down on my my argument from 30 years ago about Bill Walsh and how he started to neutralize this concept. And then nowadays, you still have those tendencies to be able to neutralize the pass rush. So I didn't want to... I didn't want to double down on a point, but I also didn't want to use sacks after I just said that <laughs> sacks wasn't the best way of doing passwords because that would make me intellectually dishonest. But it's true. When you have an uptick in attempts, you should have a correlative uptick in sacks, and you don't. And the reason you don't is because offenses are getting better at being able to neutralize that part of a defense, which, of course, lends itself better to the coverage. Joe, thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks for stopping by. Again, you can find him on the Locked On Bills podcast at The Draft Network and at Joe the Joe Marino on Twitter. And, you know, it's really interesting. You know, Nick wasn't able to be with us this time, but I did manage to get a snippet of Nick's verdict after he listened to this pod that you're about to listen to. And, you know, I thought he was going to come back and like say, oh, well, it's obviously pass rush or it's obviously coverage, but he didn't say any of those things. Instead, he just looked at me with this weird look and then he just kind of said this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. (laughs) 